Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. So I am excited. This is one of the first episodes of our Marketing Leader series. And my guest today is so cool, marketing strategist, and he has experience with both the B2B and the B2C world, which is, we're going to talk about that today. Also has experience with high-end prospects, those hard-to-reach prospects who maybe don't act the same way that everyone else does. Also Pardot certified. We're going to get into the marketing automation and some of his secrets. Uh, also loves collecting vinyl, which we will talk about as well. <laughs> Vice President of Digital Marketing at Dynasty Financial Partners, Justin Barish. How are you, sir? I'm good, Casey. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. Like you said, I got my coffee and my water here. Yes, I'm ready to go. Uh... <laughs> me too. I got water, coffee. I'm just all hydrated over here, ready to go. Nice. Yeah. If it was a little bit later in the day, I'd have my, uh, my beer next to me too, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep it to coffee today. Yeah. That'd be a different kind of podcast. <laughs> a different kind of podcast. <laughs> That's the late night show. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so the theme is around marketing leadership and, and learning from you on the strategy side, uh, some of the challenges you've overcome. So what I want to do here is this is heavy, but here, this is Thor's hammer. So take this hammer here and smash for me some bogus marketing strategy, something that maybe everyone's thinking is the case, and it just is not true. Just set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, absolutely. So a big, uh, what, what, uh, what I'll take my hammer and smash today. Um, so I mean, just a little, a little bit of context so you know what exactly I'm smashing. I mean, uh, a Dynasty Financial Partners, our prospects, our clients are all ultra high net worth uh, financial advisors, and their clients are some of the wealthiest people in the country, right? Uh, so one of the one of the the myth that I like to, that I'd like to uh, smash today is that you know social marketing and really digital marketing in general you know beyond just social beyond just beyond just marketing automation doesn't work for the high net worth and and even more specifically the ultra high net worth. Um, I mean to be frank, you know, I, I when I joined Dynasty, I'd never never worked in financial services before, so this was. This was something that I was looking to smash, but I wasn't certain about it um, by right. any way, in, in any way, shape, or form. Right? Sort of my, you know, sort of my motivation. One of the big things that I wanted to do uh, when I, when I, you know, sort of took my seat here four years ago was figure out, you know, is this a myth or is is it true? Right? Is, is what everybody tells me? Is what all these advisors, you know, says uh, true? And and uh, I'm, what were they saying? They were saying just you just you have to yeah. what word of mouth everybody. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, one of the first questions I would ask is, you know, you know, I, I came from world of marketing server virtualization, a world of marketing fashion, right? right. Uh, a world of marketing, uh, you know, technology. Um, so I, that was that was one of the first questions I would ask is how, you know, how do you guys get business as financial advisors? How do you right. find, you know, somebody who's worth ten million dollars in liquid assets to invest with you and. 99 out of 100 times it's word of mouth referrals uh word of word of word of mouth referrals um and and that's true right i'm not you know that is that, that is what it is when when that is how the advisors get business but what's not true um and what's totally a myth is that digital marketing can't also you know, be uh, right. be another channel that brings in those leads and the reason, and, and none of these advisors had ever tested it uh, or tried right. it before. 
so to be, again, to be frank, their perspective was, was, was one-sided. It was limited. How sure. can you say that something works or doesn't work until you've tested it? Yeah. Um, and we've tested it, right? That's where we're at now. And I cool. can say that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's completely untrue. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, we've seen, we've seen $10 million, you know, people wow. with over $10 million come in from a, from a LinkedIn post, be nurtured through part op marketing automation, um, you know, be, be sort of tracked and logged all through the Salesforce experience. And of course, at the end of the day, you know, it's a relationship business and they are closed with that meeting or, yes, or with that call with the advisor, but that couldn't have happened, you know, without digital mar marketing sourcing, uh, and nurturing that lead. Wow. And, and was it actually that $10 million millionaire that came in or was it like their staff or something or that? No, they... no. I mean, we see it, we see it happen. We see it happen all the time. Right. And wow. I mean, it's, uh, I can kind of lay it out in two different ways. We see it happen organically yeah. and we see it happen inorganically. Right. So I'll <laughs> kind of give you a quick example of, of both. Right. Yeah. So on the organic side, the way, you know, the way that I really smashed this myth is, is, is by saying, so, you, you know, hey, Mr. High Net Worth Advisor, you just told me your business development strategy is referrals. Well, what do referrals rely on? Oh, right. well, a network, right? Yeah. You're not going to get a referral unless there's a network. And I don't mean a social network. I mean an in-person human network. The people who are going to be, people who are currently your, your you know, your clients, your prospects, pretty damn good chance that people they know would also be good clients and prospects, right? So what we do is, and, and what's really interesting about our business is most of the clients we've worked with come from, you know, big banks, you know, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and a lot of right. those institutions have super duper strict um, rules about, you know, what an advisor is and isn't allowed to do. And using social media in, in a big bank environment is typically a no-no. So it's something that our clients don't have a lot of experience with, which is what shapes their, their, their false perception. Um, and, and the way that I kind of bring it down to reality and smash that myth is by saying, you know, just like, just like you know, your, in, your referrals are coming from an in-person network, the same thing can happen with a digital network or with mm. a social network. Um, and really typically that, that has to, that comes across when I explain how a social network works. And I mean, I'm sure that's something that this audience is really familiar with. Right. But right. I explain it as simply as this, right. You have one follower on your corporate LinkedIn page, one single follower. Okay. Who's a client, Joe blow your $5 million client. He followed you because nice. He felt bad up, that you had no followers on your, on your, right. on your page. Right. Not even your, you, not even your parents. Jeez. Not even your parents. I, this is the most dumbed down example I can Thanks, give. Joe. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you, you push out a, you know, you push out a post, you know, excited to launch, you know, Poland Springs advisory, whatever you want to call it. That one client, you know, likes and comments, comments, you know, Hey, Justin, excited for you to launch your new firm, right? Yeah. What happens there as a marketing audience knows, right? Is that post goes from having a reach of one being the yeah. one follower to then being placed in front of the network of Joe Blow, right? So then in Joe Blow's LinkedIn connections feed, you know, Joe Blow commented on Poland Springs advisory, you know, great job, Justin, what did you just do? You literally, without even knowing it, he just referred your brand to his network. It's not like right. that post was going in front of all the, all the billion users on LinkedIn or whatever. It was only going in front of the people that matter, just like an in-person re referral was. Right. 
and, and that was just with one follower. I was having a conversation this morning about, you know, what happens when you have eight followers. But if even one follower sends to your whole audience, then you're actually followed by hundreds of people potentially or thousands. Yes. Yeah, sure, sure. And like, you know, obviously that's how things go viral. That's how yeah. social algorithms work, right? Engagements drive reach. But right. to an audience that isn't familiar with social or digital marketing, dumbing it down to that one follower example, really, you know, that's kind of how I take the hammer and smash it. It's really obvious to people. Wow, it's that, you know, it's that simple and it really is. Yeah, and then you take the math out once you've simplified it and say, okay, now you're followed by a thousand people just like Sure, you. sure. What does that mean? That's like awesome that's what you so that's what you do then and then you've been able to show results you know um absolutely that's really cool that's really absolutely. cool linkedin to a landing page captured in pardot nurtured you know passed off to sales just that the way it was designed yep that's exactly right that's exactly right and i mean i guess that first example i gave you like i said i'll kind of give you you know sort of i'll smash it on on the organic side and then i'll smash it on the inorganic side on the inorganic side, I mean, really the way we splash it is by, splash it, smash it, is by, you know, is by, I call it specific message to specific audience, right? Digital marketing, uh, you know, paid social specifically um, gives you the ability to be more targeted uh, than really, really any other channel, right? So right. I have essentially all the advisors, all of our clients, you know, the reason that they're so successful is because they're specialists, right? They don't do everything for everybody. They do what they're good at and they do Man. it for the people who need it, right? And my first conversation with any of our clients, what I'm curious about is like, what is your, what is your unfair advantage, right? What makes your advisory group different, special, unique? In other words, what's your niche, right? Yeah. And that, that's really important for me to get out of them, right? Because that's the first step in them realizing that they have so much marketing potential. They don't think about it like that initially, right? They think about, oh yeah, I've been, you know, serving franchisee owners for the past 20 years. But what they fail to realize is you can take that expertise of serving franchisee owners that you've accumulated over the next 20 years, create value add content in a, in a bunch of different ways, and then put it in front of an audience that looks almost identical to the one that you're spending your 50 or 40 hours or whatever it is a week with, right? Right. And show them that you're an expert, right? Whether it's in a white paper or a video or a press release or a blog post or whatever it may be, right? If you can take that specific message, right? We're experts in dealing with this kind of wealth. I mean, I could give you an example, right? I mean, we yeah. have, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the franchisee owner thing, right? There's, um, you know, what I learned from my clients, right, is like, what's the pain point? What's the hook? And then it's my sure. job as the marketer, right, to craft that. Right. Um, so, what, so what I hear a lot is, you know, well, as a franchisee owner, we're a little bit scared about, about you know, what corporate, you know, tells us to, you know, tells us to do. And we have to make sure that, that you know, we're prepared um, for what, you know, for what corporate or what some call, you know, big brother yeah. is, is going to ask us for, right? And a, a good example is with um, what's called mobile payments terminals. If you've been to a McDonald's or a Burger King or any yeah. really fast food restaurant, notice, especially here in New York City, there's not even people at the counter in some cases anymore. It's, you know, order on the terminal, pick up your food. Right. What you don't realize as a consumer is that, is that, you know, big brother is calling up that franchisee owner and saying, you've got to drop 20K for each one of those terminals and it has to be in in the next, you know, six months 
or whatever it is. Wow. Right. So, so that could be kind of an unexpected hit to the business owner. And what we write, what we convey in our white papers, we try and we try and really, really make this, you know, emotional is we, you know, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your family's vacation to Hawaii because mm -hmm. big brother called you up and said, you need to drop 60 or hundred K on mobile payments terminals. Right. What's that really saying? is we know your business as this financial advisor and we're going to make sure that you have enough free cash flow to ensure that you can always that you'll never have to cancel your family's vacation wow. to put in a terminal. So what's that paper really about? It's about free cash flow management solution, but that's not what the reader thinks it's about. The reader yeah. thinks it's about their family's vacation to Hawaii. Wow. As you're describing that, I mean, I just got back from a family vacay. It was a cruise down in, out of Tampa, you know, the island. Oh, cool. And it, as you're describing that, I'm just like, oh, man, I, I could see that. Okay. Someone from on high says you have to do X. And that means, sorry, you got to cancel those plans this weekend or whatnot. And for that, that trip you've been saving up for. Sure. That's so emotional. And that story, you know, you're right. It wasn't just, oh, hey, check us out. We've got this cash flow management, blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's like, oh. Perfect. It was like a real personal moment in the story. Exactly. Wow. And, then, and then what's so cool to me, right, about digital marketing is that specific story, that only applies to a tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of the population, right? Like traditional right. media, traditional marketing, you'd be, it would be so wasteful. 99% of your showings would be people who don't, you know, care. But with targeted social, we can say we only want, you know, owners of a specific business, wow. you know, in a specific region and right. we can be pretty certain that the people who are targeting are having these issues and that the content that we're putting together is going to speak to them. Um, and that's why in a lot of cases, it's not a secretary or it's not an associate who's filling out, you know, a form because the secretary or the associate, we're not actually really doing our job properly. If those are the people who are seeing the content. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I get that. Cause in the past I think, Oh, well maybe they, you know, they're doing research, but to your point, you're not going after those tactical requirements. You're talking to that person themselves about that vacation they want to take. Yeah. Exactly. Just like I'd have a conversation in person with that person, right? It's not a, I don't have the same conversation with every single person I sit down with. I'm sure who does, right? right. Nobody does. Sure. We're not robots. Right. But so many marketers, you know, make the mistake of having these blanket conversations where, they have a singular message that goes to everybody. And to me, it's, it's completely unhuman. No, I love that. And I, would you say that's like your overarching strategy, the idea of that specific message to specific audiences? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I think I, I would say in general, but, but right. And this is an important, but okay. it has to all map back to your brand DNA, right? We can't have inconsistent messaging all over the place, right? Like I'm not suggesting that I put on a different personality as Justin Barish when I'm having an in-person conversation with different people. It's always Justin, it's always right. me. Right. The subject matter, right? And, and you know, maybe even, even like the energy level or whatever it is brought to the conversation may vary depending on what works for the person, but it's always me. It's always right. genuine, right? Even though right. the interactions are unique and the same thing has to apply for targeted marketing. You have to be genuine. Everything has to map back to your brand DNA. That you have to use that as your lens and filter, right? Your truth, vision, mission, mm. um, you know, marketing 101 type stuff. If you're going around crafting these ultra specific messages, 
but you're not being genuine and you're not being true to your brand or your company's brand, then you're probably actually going to end up doing more harm than good. Yeah. Now, now you get into the, the negative side of things. No, I love that. It's authentic, right? Be authentic. And you want, you want to help these people. And the whole point is to help them, not just to get their eyeballs sure. on the ad or clicking on your, on your link. It's like, we're here to help you so that you can do that vacation or whatever that, that uh, pain point, that hook you were talking about is. Yeah, sure. I mean, what's, what's more frustrating and, and we can be empathetic, put our consumer hats on here. Then when you see, you know, a post or an ad or, or, or whatever, you know, whatever the content is that's gated and you're like, Oh, I'm really actually excited to put my information in yeah. and download this. And then what you get is, you know, a pile of crap. So what, I mean, what's worse than that for the business, right? The business's metrics are going to be all skewed. Like look at our conversion rate. Look how, look how high they are. But what they're not measuring is the level of satisfaction of the person who's put in the information. And you'll see that in something like an unsubscribe rate, right? An yeah. unsubscribe rate will skyrocket. Totally. I call, I call it misaligned, uh, misaligned value exchange. So, oh. so for, for, for marketing to work, I mean, for lead capture, prospecting to work, you have to have a value exchange, right? Yes. What you are giving must be of equal or greater value than what you are asking for. And when you deliver crappy content, that value exchange is off. You've misaligned your prospects' expectations. And again, you've done more harm than good. You shouldn't have even done this at all. I love that. Misaligned value exchange. And you know, one example I have of that was this ad I saw for marketing plus AI. And it's like, we'll help <laughs> decipher the truth here. And I'm like, good, because people use AI all the time too much. Right. They don't know what they're talking about. So I'm like, click, fill out the form. I get this thing and it was garbage. It was, <laughs> it was the worst. It was pretty, but it was <laughs> nothing to it it was like four right. pages of junk and i was so mad because i was like you got me not only was it not helpful but i felt tricked right. you know and then for sure not only did i unsubscribe but when someone called me i told them exactly what they could do with that call right that white paper that they could they could take back you know it was just exactly that value to your point that was a completely misaligned value exchange exactly and now you have distaste potentially for that brand because yeah. of it You've, uh, and a better way to even put it is lack of trust. You've right. ruined ability to trust them is so much harder now, especially when in so many cases, like downloading that white paper is like your first impression of the brand. hundred percent. Yeah. First impression. And I think sometimes people forget that this stuff isn't just a carrot to get people to complete a form. It actually needs to deliver on the promise that, uh, that, that, that you offered the beginning, you know? Totally. Totally. You're right. The, the conversion rates would look awesome. Oh, this, this white paper is kicking butt, but no one wants to take our call and everyone keeps unsubscribing. I wonder what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, uh, you know, in a, in a lot of ways we'll, we'll give away like ungated content, right? Yeah. Before we hit an yeah. audience with, with, you know, the gated content, because we want to like build up credibility. We want to build up trust before, before we ask for something, right? Like we've right. found that our conversion rates are, are, you know, people seeing the quality, people actually understanding and trusting the value exchange go way up when, uh, you know, when they have a, when they have a little sneak peek or they have a little taste before, mm. you know, we're asking them for something. It doesn't, it does again, you're asking for somebody for something so frequently, so out of the gate, you lose sort of that, that feeling of honesty. And in a lot of times building up some credibility 
building up some awareness and some interest with the brand before going straight for the kill, straight for the engagement, like is really, really helpful. I could see that. And you know, sometimes I, I could see being afraid of doing that because you want to get that, capture that person. But it also says sure. something else. It says my content speaks for itself. I'm going to give you this stuff and you're going to want more because I'm, it's helpful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We've had, we've had one of our most successful campaign. I mean, one of our most successful campaigns ever, the content was not gated. It was just, it was such specific value add content to the audience that, and the form was like, if you thought this was helpful, you know, leave us your information and we'll deliver you more of it. It wow. was so, and they did so flat. Yeah. And they did. And then went into part on, we started nurturing those people have a little Calendly link at the bottom of those emails. People start scheduling meetings and really all the advisor has to do is look at his calendar and, and wow. you know, close the deal as it comes in. Yeah, I think that campaign ended up netting uh, $50 million in new business, $50 million of new assets for something that wasn't even required to fill out the form. And the gate came after. Yeah, the gate came after. Super interesting. I mean, it's, a, it's a ballsy move just doing that, but it shows that your content was that specific message to a specific audience. But I love that it was after the fact and you got – more conversions probably than you would have at the beginning. And then you had that Calendly link on that email so they could just whoop, take that process right on through. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, what's really, and then once that process does go through, once they do fill out that form, you can use things like progressive profiling, right? To pick yes. up more information about that person. Yes. And they're going to be more likely to fill out, you know, who's going to fill out what is your net worth on a field, right? And that's a field we get completions on sometimes. That's a hard Ooh. ask, right? You Ooh. ever put what's your net worth, right? Yeah. Probably not. But once you've already consumed value-add content, started to build a relationship via marketing automation, and then you hit them with that question once some trust is built up, we see people fill it out all the time. Wow. Interesting. You know, that question also, what's your, what's your salary, annual salary, what's your company's revenue? It's just right. It's like, if you ask it too soon, it's just like, you know, you're asking, you just met someone. You're like, let's get married. You know? Right. Like, I don't know right. you. Yeah, it's a bad look. It's totally a bad look. <laughs> hey, hey, you're looking good tonight. What's your blood type? Like, who are right. you? <laughs> Like, get out of here. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I get the sense that you're really thinking about process too. Because we always talk about like, you got to do strategy, then process, then technology. And, sure. and your strategy is specific message, specific people, the audience, and be authentic, make sense. And then I heard that process coming in where you're talking about, you know, you put the gate afterward and then you had an email with a Calendly link and it goes right to your person. Yeah, what when you think about what's the most important thing or any advice or what what do you how do you look at process overall? Yeah, uh, to me it comes down to one word, which is routinization, or to make a routine. Um, for me, huh. process must be routine based. It's it's to me it's far more about the inputs than it is about the outputs. Because if you can be routinized in your inputs, if you can commit to being consistent and do things over and over and over again with the understanding that this is a test, everything is a test. You're learning from that test with the right. with the intention of refining after. You're gonna end up getting to the output that you want eventually, right? Sometimes we get there real quickly. Sometimes it takes forever. But right. the output always has to follow the input. And if you can't be disciplined and focused on that routinization or on that process and testing the different variables in that process, you'll actually never get the output that you want because uh, you'll probably give up. You'll probably get too frustrated and give up too easily. How do people mess that up? 
What's the opposite of, of the routinized? By the way, I love that word. I don't even know if it's real, but it is now. It is. It that. is. Is yeah, it a word? Yeah, in the dictionary, yeah, to make oh. routine, routinized. Cool. It, how do people mess that up? Yeah, uh, testing too many things too quickly, right? Oh, like, yes. like uh, you know, you do your first, you know, targeted targeted social ad, or you know, you put your first email template, you know, out there, and you see that, you know, your your engagement rates and click through rates and open rates are garbage. And you're like, okay, so we're gonna change uh, the subject line and the email template and the copy <laughs> and you know the the sender's domain and all this stuff, and then. It, it can go better or worse either way it goes worse what drove it to go worse it goes better what drove it to go better the, the fact that you were not routinized and did not follow your process of being scientific and testing based on variables and not testing based on everything right never actually going to collect the information and insights that you need to factor into opt in, in order to optimize for lack of a better term right so if you can't be routinized if you can't be process driven you actually never give yourself the opportunity to optimize because you never collect the information um, in order to make those strategic uh, decisions or data-driven decisions. Right. So the process-driven is helping you actually collect the right data. And because you're not changing up things all the time, your, your results are more normalized where you can compare A to B, not A to Z to F to, to, sure. to 4. And, then you just, and I could see how you're constantly in that hamster wheel spinning because you can never make a decision. Totally. And I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting, right, that you don't change it up and that you don't test frequently. I, I like to use the word fail fast, right? Somebody asked yeah. me, like, what's the most important thing for like a new marketer to learn? And it's like, learn how to fail fast and learn how to love to fail. Because yes. That's the only way that you figure out how to succeed. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're all about, you know, rapid iteration. It's just like be systematic about it. Oh, I love that. Rapid iteration, because you hear that all the time, but be systematic about it so you actually can move forward with the results, not just keep testing the same thing over and over again. Right. Like, what is the KPI that really matters, not what are the 20 metrics that we're able to collect, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, KPIs for KPI's sake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super silly. You know, going from strategy the process and then finally technology you know sure. marketing automation how has that played in to this oh sure process yeah i mean it solved a, a major problem for us um which is which is this right we were we got really good at like you know sort of delivering these targeted social ads like we got really good at putting together you know content for the ultra wealthy right um so what that meant was we you know you know we were capturing a ton of leads, right? A ton, a ton of leads for our clients. Um, so we had a bunch of leads. And then once the leads actually like got that phone call or that in-person meeting or whatever, the advisor's conversion rates, because they're professionals and they're great at what they do. Or we have, I, you know, I love our clients. They, they make me look good. Right. Um, those, you know, the conversion rates, once there was, I call, I call it the butt in seat conversion rate. Once okay. you actually have this person's butt in the seat, we're super high, right? Like the advisors right. were converting most of the business. The middle section was all screwed up, right? The amount of people going from form capture to button seat wasn't happening, right? Mm -hmm. So marketing automation like really helped us fill that void because I mean, maybe we were a little bit egotistical in thinking that our content is so phenomenal that the person is ready to sit down and put their butt in that seat immediately. Right. And that was like so the wrong approach because people are ready to, to People are triggered by different things, right, um, at different times and are ready to have that conversation at different times. So we totally fail to acknowledge that 
again, back to routinization, right? That having that, 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 um, that consistent flow of information, those consistent touch points, that completely non-salesly attitude, just like, you know, we're here, here's some bits and pieces of information when you're ready to chat or, you know, we're welcome to. And at the same time, if you're not just here's unsubscribe, I'll put the unsubscribe link huge. I don't like when marketers hide it. It doesn't matter. Interesting. Like it's like the first line in the email, if this isn't for you, unsubscribe right now. We're confident enough. You know, we're confident that we can help these people, that this is the most important email they're getting all day. And if it's not, please do unsubscribe because you're not a good fit for us anyways, right? And so anyways, the, the point I'm making is that the marketing automation, right? The, the consistent abil the ability to at scale, right? And without taking you know, so much of the advisor's time. I mean, another, to backtrack just a little bit. Yeah. We started doing this manually, right? Like, you know, oh, yeah. I show the advisor, like you're going to capture leads and you're going to send this email to them, right? So one, the advisors weren't focused enough to do that <laughs> in a lot of ways. Two, their time is far more valuable than sending True. emails, you know. The um, same email over and, and over again. Exactly, yeah. exactly. These are like, you know, these are sophisticated people, right? That's not huh. really what they should be doing. Um, <laughs> And then three, they just hated it, right? It was miserable. Yes. So they didn't actually ever do it. Um, and then four, it wasn't routinized. It wasn't consistent. So they would, they would like, there was like flavor of the week, right? How am I feeling right now? This is how I'm going to write that email. It wasn't process driven. It wasn't routinized. It wasn't systematic and it failed. So marketing automation, you know, specifically using Pardot um, was hugely helpful in sort of uh, upping the amount of people who went from filling out a form to putting their butts in the seats. And it also taught us to be patient. Um, and some of our biggest conversions don't happen immediately. They happen over time and marketing automation and Pardot are what allows us to be uh, scalable while we wait, right? It's, it'll, it, it, it makes sitting in the waiting room while we're waiting for that, con for, for that prospect to convert like, a much better experience. Yeah, and you don't want your advisors to be doing all this sort of tactical level stuff. And and I could see it wasn't routinized, right? And so mm -hmm. some people would get in the seats, some people wouldn't, and you wouldn't necessarily know why. It's because those emails aren't being sent. It was sure. kind of up to them. And so you, you took back some of that into the automation. I could see that, you know, you kind of owning that whole process and using automation to help do that. I'm sure you made some, some good friends when you took back oh, yeah. the the, uh, those emails from, oh, I don't have to send that. I don't have to feel guilty because I don't send it anyways. That sounds great. Sure, sure. <laughs> wow, wow. Wow, so, you know, tell me about social and LinkedIn because I know you've really kind of cracked that and and even even those challenging, you know, whether people are going after high-end, you know, investors or high-end uh, net worth individuals or just really sure. challenging C-suite leaders. Sure. You know, what was your approach to social and LinkedIn in, in, in kind of the lead gen side? Yeah, I mean, we try and be like, you know, objective in our evaluation of different platforms. Um, and we just are also try to be as like as honest with ourselves as possible about like what different tools or like what different platforms can do. Right. So right. to me, it's, it's really simple, right? Like how do these how does Facebook, how does LinkedIn, how does Twitter, how does any social network get their data? How does it get their information? It's generated by the users, right? It's generated on people filling out their profiles. I mean, it's, it's uh, generated by them having location services turned on, right? And going places, right? They're, these social networks aren't, this data doesn't come out of thin air. It's all gener generated by the users, right? So we had to think deeply about like what type of user generated data, what sort of information 
would be valuable to us, right? Right. And of course, we tested it, right? I'm not saying right. that, that yeah. we figured it out. We'd run the exact same campaigns on, on different social networks and see what worked and what didn't sure. work. Um, but I mean, just it's so simple to, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, any B2B marketer should, if you haven't looked into, so, you know, running sponsored ads on LinkedIn, it's your, it's a mistake. It's a big mistake. I understand they can be, you know, we've had $50 CPCs on LinkedIn before, probably even more than that. Right. Wow. I understand that it can be stupid expensive, Yeah, yeah. stupid expensive, but fail at the fast same time, so you don't spend too much money. Right? That's exactly right. You got to fail fast, fail fast. So you don't spend too much money. But the thing is like, if you're a B2B marketer, like your deals should be you know, or in many cases are big enough in size where you don't need to have like a super high volume play. You just need to convert a couple in our right. business. You typically only need to convert one to pay back a campaign. Um, and there's no other social network that's, that's truly allowing me to target a specific title of a specific employee at a specific company in a specific region. Right. Um, mm -hmm. we've tried it, right. We've tried it in, in, in on all the social networks and LinkedIn has just by far been the highest quality in terms of audience. We've been able to craft the highest quality, most specific audiences on LinkedIn, essentially because it's the only network where users are filling in are completing their profile, like their business profile to a T, right? Got it. You're being accurate there. Yeah. They're accurate. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Like that's one of the places where people aren't, um, BSing. I, I'm thinking like MySpace back in the day right. or something where you're like, yeah, I'm actually five foot 10. I'll right. get myself a couple inches, you know. Totally. Uh, yeah, totally I, built, you know, you're exaggerating on like a dating site or something. And on LinkedIn, they're super accurate because it's kind of like the modern resume, you know. For sure. For sure. I mean, I mean, I do a little bit of work on LinkedIn. Like, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a partner with our HR department helping them source talent, right? And I mean, yeah. You even think if you even think, let's think about it from a company's perspective, right? Like when you're hiring talent, right? You hire, you know, to, to hire via a recruiter, yep. right? You could be paying like 20% of that person's yearly compensation, totally. right? So for like a hundred thousand dollar employee, you're paying that recruiter 20 K, right? Oh, like wow. it's harsh. That's crazy. It's harsh. Whereas on LinkedIn, <laughs> you know, you could run a job posting for a couple hundred bucks, right? Mm -hmm. So what that means, it's like, it's kind of like the food chain here, the company, you know, Good corporations, great companies are, are averse to working with recruiters in a lot of ways because they're so expensive, which means that they're turning to platforms like LinkedIn. So if you've right. got, you know, some of the most successful, most highly regarded companies hiring through these platforms, take a step down in the food chain, right? The, the audience that they're looking for, those, those qualified, those applicants, right? Qualified or not, those applicants. They're not even going to have a chance unless their profile is accurate because that's literally the means to the end. They have to have that accurate profile in order to get an awesome job, right? And because of that, we find that people's profiles are filled out so specifically and so accurately, which makes targeting them a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> I I can see that being the case. And, you know, I think when I've done some of that targeting in the past on LinkedIn, if I haven't been specific, I tend to see it starts big and then it kind of trails off and it can be kind of wonky. But if you're going specific message, specific audience, I can see that being beautiful. Totally. And you can like, obviously, like in, like any social network, right, you're paying for performance, you're paying for clicks, or you're paying right. for impressions. 
So for us, like we're not trying to build like massive audiences. Like we love an a thousand person audience. It's awesome. And what yeah. that means is in that thousand person audience, there's only X amount of clicks that are going to happen. So even if the CPCs are really high, the total campaign costs can, can be managed pretty effectively. That's a good way of thinking about it. I yeah. totally get that. Okay. You know, only 500 people in this audience, but you know, $50, you know, CPC. And then now you just know what your budget is. It's probably some percent less than that, you know? Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. Exactly. That's cool. Well, I, my question really is, you know, who are you? How did you become, you know, you're, you're this you know, VP marketing thought leader, really. Um, Thank you. And uh, I love what, how did you, did you just fail fast? How did you get to where you're at? Take us back to like baby Justin, you know, yeah. like <laughs> how did you become this awesome source of truth here? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I don't know if I'm an awesome source of truth, but I'll take it. That's a very kind compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I, I mean, it on a podcast, so that means it's true. Yep. That's, there it is. <laughs> Heard it here. Real news. Heard Real it news. here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I come, uh, you know, I come, I come from like a family of, of entrepreneurs, you know, both, both my father and my grandfather and, and, you know, sort of back from there. So I've always been the type of person to, uh, you know, I was always taught in a lot of ways that uh, if you get your foot in the door, it's kind of all you need and then it's up to you to kick it open, right? All you need is to get that, that foot in the door. Um, so I've always sort of like had that, uh, sort of had that perspective, right? I've always been like, I've always tried, you know, my, my very best to be open-minded about different things. You know, I never set out to be a, you know, a marketer. I certainly never set out to be a financial services marketer. I mean, if you told baby Justin or if you told, you know, even you know, <laughs> college Justin, right, that you're going to be a financial services marketer, I would have, you know, Ah, run for the hills. <laughs> yeah, right. Literally, I would have ran from the hills. I would have been like, you are crazy. Um, so I think that, that... What did you do uh, in school? What, what did you go for? Yeah, so I mean, I went to school, you know, I went to school for, for entrepreneurship, actually. I went oh, to cool. Northeastern University in yeah, Boston, yeah. and my program was an entrepreneurship program. And entrepreneurship to me really just means, you know, opportunity or problem solving um, or value creation, right? So... Right. What was really cool about my school, about uh, Northeastern, was that I was part of a program called the co-op program, which essentially meant that in your time in school, you would do six full-time, I'm sorry, three full-time six-month internships, right? Oh, wow. Where you would not be in school, um, you would be getting paid for these jobs, and you'd be working, you know, 40 to 50, whatever, however many hours a week, full-time uh, at one of these, at a, at a company, right? And I think each one of my experiences, um, you know, each one of those co-op experiences actually really shaped me and brought me to the point, you know, where I am now. My first one, I was working for a company called Level Up, which actually was acquired by Grubhub uh, about oh, okay. three months ago for a huge valuation. They were a Google venture company. Uh, so I'd never like worked in an office or anything before I saw, you know, when I was going through the portal, I'm like, Ooh, a Google startup, there's Nerf guns and, uh, <laughs> yeah, quick, quick story. My first day there, we were actually, uh, my, like my first week there was the last week in our office and we actually had a paintball tournament in the office. So like people are hiding behind the desks and shooting paintball guns and like, I would just destroy the office because the building was getting torn down the next day. Right. So like, oh, okay. I, was, I saw, <laughs> I was like, how does it even work? It sounds awesome. It was so awesome, right? And like, so I saw that I saw that I would be. Uh, that was like the hook for me, right? I'm like, wow, like I'm 18 <laughs> or 19, like I get to play paintball in the office and like have a Nerf gun and like get free lunch. I mean, that sounds awesome. And um, 
man, it was funny. I'll, I'll never, it was my first interview, really my first interview like ever. And I walked into that interview and, uh, and, uh, you know, the two guys interviewing, look at, look at each other and they're like, something smells really strange. This is before I've even sat down in the interview chair, right? They're like, something in here smells really strange. And I know it's not Evan or I, Justin, what is that? I hadn't even sat down yet, right? And that was, oh, that, was that was the first interview question. And I, I was able to sort of navigate my way around that and make a joke out of it. And was it a laugh. twist? So basically, what they were doing is they were testing to see how you reacted on your toes, right? It hadn't like they were trying. It, it was a type of job where they're like, we need people who think fast, right? And yeah. Take a super uncomfortable situation and flip it on its head, right? And wow. I took it from there, and then we ended up talking about barbecue. Quick side note: I'm a certified barbecue judge, so. So what? we started talking about barbecue. How do you get certified for that? Yeah, so there's like a, an association, and you have to take a course and pass a test. Um, so that sounds like a good actually, time. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm actually only certified in the Pacific Northwest, um, which is like a <laughs> which is which is like a regional uh, barbecue association, and the winners of those contests go like down to Texas for like the big big contests. Wow. But anyways, right? Like I, I ended up getting that job just because I had, I was able to think on my feet and like, you know, I had, they were just looking for people who could, you know, who, who, who were curious. Right. And I think right. you know, sort of the fact that I was a barbecue judge illustrated my curiosity. Um, and really what I signed up for was a cold calling job um, at the end of the day where we would call businesses and try and get them to sign up for level up, which was a um, like a mobile, a mobile payments platform. So, so while I was cold calling, right. And I was one of like, I think the first 50 employees of this company, and what, so we were testing a lot, right? We were testing a lot, a lot, a lot of different things. And me being on the phone, like I was kind of like the first, I could like kind of gauge the feeling on the ground, right? So yeah. I would see, you know, like, hey, like I would call on like three cities. I'd call on Atlanta, Chicago, and New York City, right? So like okay. we had spent a lot of money on marketing in Atlanta, right? And I saw how that made my calls easier. Whereas in New York, we didn't have the budget. So my calls were, were harder. And there's other variables. But I started to understand how marketing could be a beachhead. Um, for sales, right? And I started to understand yeah. the relationship between marketing and sales. And that was completely unintentional. It just happened because I'm like, let's market more because I get paid more because I'm closing deals and getting more deals. Yeah. Right. So I learned, you know, I learned it so much, so, so, so much in that job cold calling about marketing because I learned how it makes the sales job. I learned how they're, they're one team. To me, it's one team, marketing and sales, because common goal the way we achieve that goal is slightly different right right but, but we're literally partners like I, I always use that word literally partners and i learned about partnership there right right so my second internship i'm like okay i know for sure now i want to be the first one yeah that was the first oh, one and exactly smells for the interview and exactly crazy crazy yeah, I mean, and, that's, uh, the, that's the way to learn though right i mean totally. that, that's smarter than to do that so okay what happened second what was your second yeah one? Yeah. So, I mean, basically the second one was that, you know, at that point I knew like, okay, I definitely want to be on the other side of the partnership. I want to be on the marketing side. Right. Uh, so I ended up doing six months here in New York city at a, at an agency that, that was actually uh, acquired by sprinkler um, soon after, soon after yeah. I left there. And it was cool. Cause we were doing uh, this was like kind of the early days of influencer marketing. And what we were doing was building custom social networks for like companies like Vogue magazine, where we'd invite like the biggest, the biggest, like we had a proprietary like algorithm. So it basically identify who are the most influential like Vogue followers or fans. We'd like yeah. invite them into 
we'd like invite them into a custom social network and then funnel them like either exclusive opportunities like you know free tickets to or you know front row passes to the uh, you know Alexander Wang Fashion Week show like something really exclusive like that or you know cool content opportunities like design your Fashion Week collage and it was cool because you know we'd have a thousand people in those communities and those thousand posts you know those thousand people would would post their collage and it'd end up getting you know like a billion impressions wow which was, right and like i didn't even know that this was a thing at that time so that was like a huge learning experience i'm like well marketing is so much deeper than i even thought it was like there's so much strategy here where we're like we're not gonna we're not gonna pay anybody the people who we don't pay are actually bigger advocates than paying a kim kardashian right i never thought about it like that way before and that's where like a lot of my my commentary about like uh, you know genuineness comes from because when you're paying like an influencer that's not genuine it's it's totally forced Whereas when you're not paying them and you're giving them this really, really interesting opportunity, they're already huge fans. They already want to do this. Think about your favorite brand. If they called you up and they were like, you know, hey, Casey, we want you to be our, our advocate and we're going to give you, you know, you name it, right? Gear. Like, I love snowboarding, right? If Burton called me up and they're like, we're going to give you a snowboard, right? Like, hey, yeah. Like, like, I would have done it for yeah. a sticker. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we learned, you know, learned a lot about that there. And then just quickly, my third one, I was, I had the opportunity to work at VMware, uh, server virtualization out in, uh, out in, out, out in Palo Alto. Wow. That's where I learned about technical marketing, right? Like we were, right. Serving, we were selling, we were selling and marketing highly technical products. And I, I, I found a love for the technical form of marketing, like in terms of technical language, explaining super complicated things, super, super complicated things to people who have absolutely no idea about the technical <laughs> nature of it. Right. Um, and that's how I ended up finding myself in wealth management because I saw a lot of parallels between the technical nature of marketing yeah. servers or server virtualization software and figuring out how to market to, you know, a $10 million person that potentially the, the financial advisor they've been working with for the past 20 years maybe doesn't have their best interest in mind and uh, it could be worth looking around a little bit. That's, that's a pretty comp, that's pretty technical sell, even though I, I don't think a lot of my peers see it that way. I totally get it. I told there's in, and some people want that technology. Cause I even think of some of my, I know some, some, you know, super millionaire type folks and, and uh, some of them absolutely know certain speaks and they're, it's one of their hobbies is kind of sure. stuff. And so th they would be almost like that IT buyer. Right. But, so, but then you have that business user buyer, you know, some of those other friends are like, I don't know. I just, I hired the best and they manage that for me. Right. And, and it's that kind of sale. To your point, that story about the vacation was nothing to do with the technical, you know, the, the ones and zeros of this, this system to balance your cash flow and all this. It had nothing to do with that. And you were going after the other user. Yep. Great so, parallel. That's the yeah. first time I've ever heard that parallel with yeah. investments and technology. Yeah. That's how I see it. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> Mike, you dropped it right now. That's crazy. Drop my, head, my headphones. Yeah, just drop the headphones, walk off. I'm done here. Not my as, my time is not, done. <laughs> not, not as dramatic when it's a tiny little right, earbud. Not as dramatic. <laughs> earbud on the table. <laughs> Man, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the authentic influencer is really interesting and getting the people that would do it anyway. It's like, how how we got connected was you know working together with Pardot. Sure, I'm a huge fan of Pardot. All I was doing for years as a Pardot user was just saying how much I loved it. 
and uh, not even for money, just right. I still love it. And I can still talk about it. Um, and that's really how a whole business came about doing that. So yeah, it, it's those people you want talking, you know, you don't need to go pay some person to, to do X, Y, and Z, especially in the B2B world. There's some power to those, you know, those users that are just happy. You totally, know? totally, yeah. t- totally. And then especially when you get into more niche markets, right? They're just smaller audience sizes, which means right. there's, you know, influencers carry a lot of reach, even if there's less of them. And, and again, I mean, the point that you made, I think is a, a good one, right? You got, you want to find the ones who are just doing it because they love it. And because those are the people yes. who are, again, back to the, the thematic, you know, the theme of genuineness. Those are the ones who are going to communicate the message in a genuine nature, um, which at least for our brand is the right way to do it. Absolutely. So there's a, there's another question I want to ask you and it's really, I've, you know, if you look at your LinkedIn and we'll, we'll link to you as well. And, but you, you really put in the time in sales and then you put in the time in marketing and eventually added tech and, and now you're VP, right? So yeah, I was wondering do you, what kind of career advice, you know, thinking of like marketers out there, their coordinators or whatnot, like almost like what would you tell yourself at the beginning of your career? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, again, the beginning of my career wasn't too, too long ago. I'm, I'm only, you know, 27 now past those three, you know, past those three internships I described have been, you know, solely, you know, solely here at Dynasty. And, and, uh, you know, when I started at Dynasty four years ago, my title was, you know, he was marketing coordinator sure. and it changed to specialist, associate, analyst, system vice president, you know, vice president, <laughs> something like that. Right. That's and, awesome. um, I mean, I think the, 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 the biggest tip, I have to think about this one a little bit, but I think the biggest yeah. tip that I would give is, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we had, you know, when we had our prep call is, is about, is about small wins, uh, going after the small wins rather than going after the big wins. Uh, that was super helpful for me. I mean, when I first came into Dynasty, you know, when I first came into Dynasty, you know, I was hunting the sharks or I was hunting the elephants, right? I was going after those huge wins. Like I'm going to build a custom social network that connects all our clients and we're going to have groups around all the different services we provide. And this is going to be like the stickiest thing ever. And what, what drives client retention. And like, that was so egotistical for me to do. Um, And I learned that essentially by making a fool of myself a bunch of times in a row, what what I just said, and then it never happened. Right. I was never Uh able to, I, I couldn't pull that off, right? It was way too ambitious. Got a it. Project with like you know huge budgets and so many stakeholders, you know, having to be required and having to different get dependencies. I'm sure other people right. even control of it, really. No, no, compliance had to sign off on it, and financial right. services. Everything has to be archived, so we had to build oh. an archiving solution. And it was just like, oh, whoa! I just wasted so much time, effort, you know, potentially money, embarrassed myself in doing all that. <laughs> right. When I should have realized that 85% of our clients didn't even have company LinkedIn profiles. It's like, why wouldn't you start there? Here's what a LinkedIn profile is. Here's why your company should have it. Here's what editorial calendar is, right? Here's why you should be posting once a week. Here's how you determine what content's working and what's not. Oh, here's a platform. Like people were sending like email communications just on BCC and getting blacklisted. or like, Here's a tool like a like you know oh, simple, no. like a Mailchimp or a Constant Contact to start with, right? Like, and what I didn't realize is that there was so many small wins, there was so much small opportunity around me that I was neglecting because I had the tunnel vision of going after the elephant, going after the big kill. When in reality, by taking that step back, looking around and seeing that there was so many small wins around me, 
I'd get a small win and I'd get a couple of value points. I'd get a small win, I'd get a couple of value points, get a small win, get a couple of value points. And eventually those, those small amounts of value points ended up being worth far more than the custom social network. Right. Fast forward four years later, we actually are rolling out that product now. Um, which is super cool. I'm super excited about that. It's one of my biggest initiatives of, of this year, right? Of 2019. Right. But it wasn't of 2013, even though I thought it was going to be. Sure. And certainly the only reason why, why I'm able to do it now is because I built up the credibility through those small wins over time, which has now allowed me to be in an appropriate position to have those conversations with the lawyers and with the, and with the archivers and with the compliance people and with, the, with uh, you know, our clients. And now it's possible, but it was only possible because I built up credibility prior to going for the big kill. Right. That makes sense. I think as marketers, we often have those big ideas and there's nothing wrong with that because obviously you're implementing one right now, but, but it's a great reminder to think about uh, just kind of, you know, look at what's currently happening and some of those small wins you might even take for granted. Like, of course you have a LinkedIn profile. Really? What was it? 85% didn't have one or something crazy like that. that. Yeah. It was 85% didn't have one. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think the only, the other tip I'd give, and this, again, we're going to keep going back to this, you know, this, this, uh, this theme of, of genuineness, right. Is that, so I'll, I'll tell this in a story. I really, really, really like, uh, to eat and, uh, you know, to travel around, you know, tra- really to travel around the world and, you know, meet people who are doing really cool, interesting, different things with food, whether it's, you know, somebody serving food off the street, right, in Mexico yeah. City, yeah. or whether it's, you know, going to, you know, one of the most high-end Michelin-starred restaurants in the world. And this specific example, I, I was fortunate enough to be in uh, Copenhagen, and uh, I had the opportunity to eat at a restaurant there called Noma, um, which, one, which, you know, has been named best, best restaurant in the world uh, a handful of times. Wow. And uh, I was, again, fortunate enough to be able to, you know, while I was dining there, strike up a conversation with, you know, one of the, one of the servers. Um, and, I, and, you know, we started getting to talking. It was maybe a little bit after the meal. I was talking with the server and I was like, what makes, you know, this is the best service I've ever had in my life best client service by far. I don't care if it's a restaurant out of a restaurant, like these people at Noma know what they're doing. I'm like, what, like, how are you trained? Like, how do you guys, how do you do it? Right. And the tip that he gave to me was, he's like, listen, man, anybody, you know, with half a brain could like memorize the, you know, the 20 ingredients in this dish and the fancy words that, you know, I'm using to do that. (laughs) That's, that's commoditized. Almost anybody can do that. But only I can do it the way I do it, right? Only I can do it in my way, right? I can, I know what I have to say, but only I can communicate it in my style and my flow. And like, they're not on a script, right? Like they gotta say, they gotta communicate what's in the dish and what it is, but it's up to them. It's up to them to do it in in a personalized way, right? And I'd say the same thing about myself or like I think about it the same way myself. Like I'm certainly not the most skilled you know, technical marketer, the most skilled creative marketer, or like the most, you know, whatever it is, right? In a lot of ways, those things are, are commoditized, or at least partially commoditized. Uh, but me being just embarrassed isn't commoditized. There's only one, right? right? So if you can figure out what is, you know, what what is your personal spin, or what's your personal perspective, and like attach that in a genuine way to what you're doing, then there's nobody, you're, un, you're irreplaceable. And if you can have, and if you can, and if you can 
have that mentality, which is really, really hard to do early in your career because you're around all these people who make more money than you and are older <laughs> than you and all this type of stuff. But if you can just be yourself and do the task that anybody can do in your own way, you're going to build relationships. And to me, a relationship should come before a task always. So that's a big tip I give, a relationship before a task. Okay, relationship before a task. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I really like the idea that only you can do it your way. Like what an right. interesting thing for a waiter to say. I don't, it's so astute. It's so interesting and it's true it, whether you're a marketer or what, whoever and thinking about you is like, if you're a, if you're a dish at a restaurant, the ingredients of how you got there. I mean, you did cold calling as an intern, right. played paintball. You did all these, <laughs> things, and those experiences will never be duplicated. And so you as a marketer are 100% unique by the different things you've experienced. So certainly, certainly. do that, you know, exude that marketing that you have that's unique. Certainly. It's a, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the way I like to think about everything. Business, relationship, personal, personal life, whatever. So, so top place then you've been all over the world. Favorite, mm. favorite place to, to go? Cause I'm a big food fan and travel. Uh, yeah. So there's, oh man. I mean, I, I did, I, know uh, it's hard. I just asked you like, you know, it's like asking Elon Musk how to build a rocket, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I would say, I would, steps. I would, yeah, I would say Tokyo for sure is my favorite. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, yeah, I lived there for a couple months um, wow. while I was studying and I mean, Tokyo, I mean, New York City is amazing too, right? Because you, yeah, you know, you can come to New York City and like it's it truly is a melting pot. Whether it's you know Cambodian food or whether it's French food or whether it's Icelandic food or whether it's you know halal food, it doesn't matter what it is, right? You kind of get the best of all worlds in New York, which is amazing. Um, but the reason I answer Tokyo over New York is just because of their, um, just because they're basically there's a Japanese word, which I'm forgetting now. I think it might be Kaizen, where I could be completely butchering that, which is basically the, uh, like, continuous dedication to perfection, right? And, like, they embody that in their cuisine. So whether it's a ramen restaurant in the subway that doesn't even have chairs where you're standing up and eating in five minutes while the train comes, they are showing up to prepare that ramen better and better and better and better every day, which, by the way, re relies on routinization and process. Yes. Big learning lesson there. Or whether you're the thousand dollar person, you know, Jiro, you know, sushi restaurant eating the most expensive fish in the world. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's high end or, or it's low end. It's continuous dedication to self-improvement. Um, realizing you'll probably never achieve perfection, but striving to get there is like what you're showing up for. That's why I answer Japan because of that reason. Absolutely. You know, I, the phrase, you know, sometimes it gets cliche of practice makes perfect, but I've, I've since heard that it corrected to practice makes progress you know right i love that you're always progressing but to your point you're there is not a perfection there is continuous improvement and you're right it is K kaizen k-a-i-z-e-n um yeah i i love tokyo too i had a chance to go there and what i was fascinated by was just different culture like thinking of compared to new york when the crosswalk says don't walk, no one walks. And right. I remember seeing American being like, hey, there's no cars that I can see in my visible range anywhere. And, and there's, you know, 20 people standing there not walking. So I'm not walking either because I'm, right. not, I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> so, but in New York, you know, there could be, you know, traffic and you're, you're walking in between everything, you know. Totally, totally. Man, I was even in Florida like yes, yesterday, two days ago. 
And I was like walking across the street in St. Petersburg, Florida. And like, I was getting looks like, what are you doing? Yeah. My hand is red. I'm like, oh, um, not in New York. Sorry. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Europe's like that too. Like apparently yeah. if you look at the driver, then it's your fault if you get hit. But yeah. if you don't look at them, it's okay. It's their fault. Oh, they hit funny. you. You didn't see them. <laughs> wow, that that's a cool theme, though. So you, all these travels and experiences, and in seeing people in their kaizen, seeing people progressing and getting better every day at the different things they're doing, and the routinized that we talked about. That's kind of I see that theme throughout. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And I guess you know I wasn't even thinking of this one before, but it's another third tip to like you know young market or or whomever it is, right? Is is there's like cross applicability and I'm I'm like, this is, I'm really just forming this like right now is like, there's so much, there's, what do we call it? Transferable skills, right? Yeah. So like you're seeing, we're talking about service in a restaurant and that translating to wealth management, right? We're talking about, right. you know, making ramen noodles and that's translating to, you know, cr creating a killer engagement studio, right? Right. Like all these different things, like there's something you can take away from everything. If you're like thought, a little bit thoughtful about it, and apply it to almost anything else. And like, if you can think about things, maybe not so much in a silo, but more holistically, like this is how I can apply something that seems completely unrelated to something else and do better because of it. Like that's, that's a, it's a really interesting skill to be able to have. And it's something I, I strive to cultivate. Huh? Yeah. It's, it's so true that, you know, that you can get information and you can get inspiration from the weirdest, smallest thing I mean, that's why, you know, taking a shower in the morning and, you know, right. yeah, Eureka, <laughs> flux capacitor. Right. <laughs> right. Totally true. Yeah. Totally true. And, and so get out there and experience things and you never, and I think you have to be open to it. Like how, what, I know you're forming this thought too, and I'm kind of I'm with you on it in order to get the fact that a restaurant could be something you learned from you had to be open to it. Was there anything else you had to kind of look for it or just recognize that? It takes a humility to just, you can learn from, you know, a waiter, maybe you're a vice president, but you could learn from that waiter in that restaurant or the street. Yeah, vendor, you know, oh, totally. And I mean, I think that, you know, there, there are some, some, you know, success, you know, really successful, famous people have, you know, basically said, and, you know, you, the way you treat the lowest person in the room is actually in a lot of ways, like the lowest person being the waiter, whomever it is, right. Yeah. If you're at a, a board meeting in a lot of ways is sort of, uh, indicative right <laughs> like you know who you are as a person in a lot of ways and i mean i 100%. think that if you can i mean you, i think you said it best right i mean if you can sort of have that open-mindedness or just realize that it doesn't matter like power is is it's subjective right how you yeah. assign power is based on like a belief system or a value system and if you can you know test or you know maybe adjust that system to give a little bit more power to people who don't conventionally have it you might realize just by doing that that they have something more valuable to offer than maybe the person that you had originally assigned the power to. Right, hundred um, percent. You know, I had I have had a chance. I, I recently got back into karate. Oh, cool! As a kid, you know, all whipped to college. Eventually, got a black belt. But then, twenty years later, have haven't done it in a while. But I got my son into it. And it's the same style that I had. And I was like, oh, man, that was fun. Maybe I'll get back into it. But how do you do that? You're expected to know everything. But no, what they do is they give you a white belt. And you just practice with that as long as you need to until you basically re-earn that, that rank. And 
I've had a blast walking around as a white belt. Normally you'd be like, oh, what am I doing in this white belt? And right. I'm the lowest ranking guy. It's actually easier to figure out where I stand at the beginning of class. I'm at the end. I don't have to worry about, am I in front of this guy, behind this person? No, no, no. I'm in the back. It's cool. And, and, I'm, and I'm learning, to your point, from everyone. And, 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 and I get to be super humble and, and you know, let the, the green belt tell me if they want to attack first or not. You know, hey, you, you show me and I'll learn from you. And it's what a cool exercise, you know, just to yeah. kind of put on our white belt and learn from everyone else around us. Even if we've got to that master rank to still kind of go back and see if there's something else we can learn. No, I love that. I think you're, I think, I think, you know, basically the story you just told is really a, you know, it's really a microcosm for, or, you know, sort of my point about the cross applicability. I mean, that's sort of, that's a microcosm for, for a lot of things in life being able to, obviously when you know, when you earn something, you earn it, right. And you deserve yeah. it. But at the same time, you know, if you could, if you can just take that step back and, and kind of put yourself in in the beginner's shoes, I mean, maybe, maybe part of it is empathy, right? That maybe wearing that white belt is giving you sort of that empathetic understanding of the green belts and the orange belts and the purple belts and the black belts, which is actually, you know, completing your perspective and allowing you to be the best black belt possible. Totally. And you know, what's really fun too, is I get to surprise the black belts. (laughs) taking it super easy on me. And I'm like, Oh yeah, no problem. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Whoa, is, is this yeah. your first? I'm like, it's my first class. I've never done yeah. this before. Yeah. You could, uh, what's that, uh, what's that? What's that movie? It's a, uh, what is it? White men can't jump where they hustle on the basketball court. You're oh, like, right. uh, yeah, can't, uh, can't kick or do, uh, do karate or whatever. Definitely, yeah. definitely win some bets is what I'm saying. Right. Start hustling. <laughs> Karate hustler. <laughs> Next on HBO. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So man. funny. Well, this has been really cool. I don't know if you looked at the time. It was like a time warp. We just no. dove in yeah, and 12, 13. Damn. Yeah. There we go. Cool. Crushing it out, man. Well, you know, what are some of the ways people can connect with you? And obviously, you know, um, you know, learn more about what you do. Maybe get an example and you know, go check out what you're up to. What are some of the good yeah. links? Where can people find you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I've, I've mentioned LinkedIn a lot. So I'm a big LinkedIn guy, you know, just search Justin Barish or Justin Barish Dynasty Financial Partners, you know, feel free to connect, maybe leave me a little uh, personal, you know, to our point about personalization, a little right. bit of a personalized note saying, you know, you're a fan of, you know, you're a fan of the show and you heard me on the show, um, would yeah. be happy to, you know, connect and, and share any more specifics or more about what I do. Um, but definitely you can find me through LinkedIn. Uh, via email, Justin Barish, J-U-S-T-I-N-B-A-R-I-S-H at dynastyfp.com. Uh, and definitely check out our website, dynastyfinancialpartners.com. You can find, you know, pretty much a list of all our clients on there, which my day job is to help them, you know, continue to grow and, and do awesome things. So you can get a taste of what we're sort of doing uh, for the different brands that we serve. And um, yeah, I would say those are, those are the best channels, but definitely connect on LinkedIn and, uh, Give our uh, Dynasty Financial uh, Partners corporate page a follow. Yeah, absolutely. Give that a follow. Based on the stories we heard today, you know, add that network. You know, be Joe and and, and follow that. This is totally. really cool. Um, I, this is awesome. I, like I, I've filled a page. So everyone out there, if you've learned something, and and I know you have because I have. I've got <laughs> page front and back full of notes. Uh, but I was wondering know. what you were doing down there. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> playing tic-tac-toe like this guy's boring, playing, you know tic-tac-toe with myself over here no no i'm writing notes i'm learning from you this is this has been awesome um both on the career side i mean this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people and then also the idea of that specific message 
specific audience, be authentic in that delivery. You need, you know, to your DNA. Love this, man. This has been really cool. So for people listening, get this message, share with coworkers, friends, put it out on social, you know, tag Justin in that. Um, and if you do add him on LinkedIn, don't be creepy and just do a little ad, <laughs> write a little note, say hi, and you'll, you'll thank yourself because when you do that, LinkedIn remembers. So later on, two years from now, when you're working together on a deal, you're like, how did I meet you? Like, I have no idea. LinkedIn will tell you, oh, here's, here's how. <laughs> so be sure to write totally. that little note in there when you send that, that message. But thanks again, man. This has been super cool. No, thank you for having me on. It was uh, you know, a pleasure to share some of my experiences and insights. And uh, next time you'll have to have me back for the late night edition where I can uh, trade my uh, copy for that beer. <laughs> 100% late night edition. We'll, ha- we'll have uh, disclaimers at the beginning and everything. Lots <laughs> of New York City. Cool. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Awesome, man. Thanks again. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Yeah.